Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Country music has a very conservative reputation, but over the years, the genre has been used to express some rather liberal thoughts. Dr. Mark Allen Jackson, a professor of English, has compiled some essays on the subject in The Honky Tonk on the Left, Progressive Thought in Country Music, published by University of Massachusetts Press. In addition to editing the essays, Jackson wrote one himself, as did Center for Popular Music director Greg Reich. We'll take a musical turn to the left after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. While the world's watching Jordan Peele's newest creation, Us, from behind splayed fingers and popcorn boxes, MTSU junior Philip Mayberry will be savoring the feeling of seeing his own art in one of the film's trailers. Mayberry, a graphic design major from Union City, Tennessee, who now lives in Nashville, was one of thousands of fans around the world who answered an ongoing challenge via Chocolate City Comics, Instagram, and Universal Studios to create artwork inspired by the new horror movie. Home prices in Tennessee continued rising in the fourth quarter of 2018, while construction permits were down from the previous quarter. This according to the latest quarterly housing report from the MTSU Business and Economic Research Center. But total permits were up year over year, and overall trends indicate, quote, a stable economy, noted Center Director Murat Arik. Uh, author of the report. The quarterly report offers an overview of the state's economy as it relates to the housing market and includes data on employment, housing construction, rental vacancy rates, real estate transactions, and mortgages, home sales and prices, delinquencies, and foreclosures. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. One of the essays is titled Leave Country Music to White Folk. How have country audiences reacted to African-American artists or white country artists collaborating with African-American artists? I mean, Johnny Cash worked with Louis Armstrong. Willie Nelson had a hit with Ray Charles. But those guys were super titans uh, who could do anything they wanted to by that point in their careers. They weren't just, you know, unknown people on the way up the ladder. Well, I think there's a there's a great book called Hidden in the Mix, and it's all about the history of Af- African-American participation in country music. So it lays out a really kind of in-depth, wonderful kind of background on this particular issue. And I, uh, I largely agree with the, the, the findings of, of that book. And I think that for me, the, the larger takeaway is we don't always notice um, – that how much kind of country music owes itself to kind of African-American uh, song forms, um, expression. When we look at Elvis Presley, and I think a lot of people go, well, of course, he's borrowing, or some people might say stealing you know, from ha- African-American culture. Hound Dog was done by Big Mama Thornton first. It right. was. Of course, she didn't write it. Uh, two uh, young men who were uh, Jewish <laughs> wrote the song. So, I mean, it, to me, that's just great because that's the American melting pot, right? right. Uh-huh. We got a whole bunch of different people coming together to make American music. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the great thing about it. So, in a way, that's a great example of no one person, no one group owns American music. John Henry, mm-hmm. that's an American folk song. 
but that's a song that white and black players have been playing for well over 100 years. Yeah. No one, in a way, kind of owns that. Like, it's an American song. Everybody owns it, who picks it up and who wants to play it. And so, to me, country music isn't fully white, though, again, that's uh, a stereotype of it. And there's a lot of evidence that, yes, there is a lot of whiteness in country music. You can't deny that. Yeah. I mean, the, it's it's right there in front of you. But if you kind of look beyond it, right, that nuance we're talking about, you see that there's always been uh, an African-American flair. Either some of the folk songs that early country performers, again, they're called hillbilly performers or folk singers or old-time singers. There are a lot of kind of names for country when it first kind of comes into being. Mm-hmm. A lot of those songs are from African-American traditions. Its significance sometimes is different because there are separations in terms of kind of our folk groups. But there's also kind of like a Venn diagram. We're not separate bodies. We're we're very much in, there's an overlay. And it's a strong and important one. It's been going a long time. So Jimmy Rogers, an early country western singer, he's doing his blue yodel. So he's doing a yodel, but he's also might be more of a kind of a European sound in a way, like uh, that the, the kind of yodeler tradition. But at the same time, it kind of just sounds like the blues where somebody's kind of going up and sliding over uh, notes in that he's named it Blue Yodel. He kind of said, well, it's both black and white. Yeah. And that's very much Jimmy Rogers. And he played with Louis Armstrong. And he had a number of African-American backing musicians at the time. And certainly the Carters also drawn strongly from African-American tradition. And we can see that almost every performer that we look at, we can, we can find some link to a non-white tradition at some level. And that's always been the case in country music. I don't think it's always been the most obvious kind of component of country, but it's definitively there. And it's not, even though the title of the book I mentioned, In the Mix, Mm -hmm. to me, it doesn't always feel that hidden. But maybe it's that you have to know the history, Mm -hmm. you have to really be into the music, and you might have to pay attention to a lot of different performers to see that that thread is kind of linked in there with so many people that you can't pull it out without the whole thing falling apart. Well, conversely, Ray Charles caught flack from African-Americans when he released modern sounds in country music, but Ray Charles was going to do whatever the heck Ray Charles wanted to do, and he found value in those songs, and he recorded them. He did it his way. Somebody like Led Belly. He also was a very big fan of country music. Part of that is because when you turned on the radio in Arkansas and Tennessee and Louisiana and throughout the South. It's about darn near all you heard. <laughs> you would hear a, you'd hear a lot of country music. You could also hear a lot of blues, depending on the, the era, right? I think if we, once we kind of look into the, the 30s and 40s, you see that there's, there's a growing number of stations that kind of like are open for an African-American presence. Now, that may not have been the, the main drive or that might have been only on some stations, but you started to hear more of a variety of music. And also, when you talk about like how people used to get music, you would just go to some uh, gathering. It might be a barbecue, it might be a barn dance, it might be a fish fry, it might be like tent revivals, it might be a number of different kinds of activities. And even though sometimes people look at the South and think, well, Jim Crow segregation, that was a end-all, be-all, it really never was. Yeah. There's always mixing mm-hmm. going on. Now, sometimes it it was more covert mixing than mm-hmm. overt, but other times it would just be the case. And in many situations, groups of whites would ask for African-American players to come in and perform for them. 
W.C. Handy writes about like how he kind of comes to learn about blues. He's African-American, but he was schooled in kind of classical music, yeah. big kind of large band kind of music, uh, brass band kind of thing. But he goes to uh, like a smaller kind of country performance and he plays and the audience is like, OK. But when they get off, this small group of men come on and he says they play the weirdest music I ever heard. <laughs> and, and he's like, wow, that's great. And he said the people there just showered them in money. And he's and W.C. Handy was interested in money. He's like, I've got a good idea. Why don't I play that music? And so he made blues arrangements, but he's even taken from a tradition that wasn't his. He wasn't rooted in the blues. He comes to see the blues as having some expression that he can appreciate and also some kind of commercial possibility. And so that's he kind of takes up the blues and then he helps kind of put that out so that the world gets to hear the blues. So W.C. Handy is the father of blues. He's not. He's the father of the commercialization of blues. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to denigrate him at all because I like his music, but that really wasn't his music. And so other people listening to that music, in a way it's not theirs, but they kind of made it theirs. And we can say that that's a barring or we can say that that's a theft. I, I, I think that you can make arguments for both. But in some ways, no one of us ever owns an art form. Somebody hears it, and do you want to say to them, well, you can't do it because you don't have the right skin color? We, if that was true, then nobody who's African-American can sing opera. That would be a, a, a giant, horrible shame. I don't think that we should put limits on who gets to sing what song top, though we can maybe talk about what you might owe the group from which you, you are taking from. Maybe that if you do borrow from one group's music, maybe you need to acknowledge that and you might even need to advocate for them because you're saying, you gave me something precious and now I owe you some effort back. We'll take a break right here. We'll be back. This is MTSU on the record. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years, to date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The book is called The Honky Tonk on the Left, Progressive Thought in Country Music. It's a collection of essays uh, compiled by Dr. Mark Allen Jackson, who is a professor of English. There is another essay in the book called Weeping and Flamboyant Men. It takes on Webb Pierce and curiously to me, Gene Autry, because I never thought of him in that context, what does this essay say about gender identity in country music? It offers this idea that when we talk about gender norms, it's not just like, oh, is somebody um, a lesbian? Is somebody gay? Is somebody transgendered? Instead, it says that the, the gender kind of conceptions and stereotypes, um, that they're they're not as restricted as sometimes we like to imagine this is masculine, this is feminine, and that people have kind of a fluidity. And so if we look at Webb Pierce, largely the essay is kind of arguing that he was 
could offer up some rather emotional kind of tear-based the man as kind of jilted lover and being broken and someone might say well that that's a feminine position but that really what it is is that he was in a way pushing against a norm the strong silent man who uh you know takes adversity and and moves beyond it and in a way kind of said that country music didn't have to fit that kind of rigid gender stereotype. And uh, the oh, same thing with Gene Autry, too. He, he, he was a guy that was gets into movies because that he was seen as kind of like having a pretty face and that he could be a movie star because he kind of fit the idea of what Hollywood was willing to accept as a masculine man who might also appeal to women. So they wanted to have both men and women as kind of audience. And I think in a way that sometimes the music that they make also had that kind of crossover, that it wasn't necessarily a man's man music. and It was about someone expressing a range of human possibility, and we want to call some of that masculine or some of it feminine, so be it. Well, even Hank Williams Sr. sang, I'm so lonesome I could cry. And I don't think anybody questioned his masculinity over it, did they? No, not for him. And she she kind of referenced that, that Webb Pierce kind of looks at, at Hank Williams as an, as an example of somebody who could really kind of expand what country music's possibility. There's this great essay called Hillbilly Humanism. And it kind of just says, let's look at Hank Williams' songs. And if we look at it, we see that he's very much about empathy and sympathy and emotional connection. And again, for I think for some, they would say, well, that that's a feminine kind of aspect of humanity. But instead, it's much more about that, why do we have to put limits on it? He was someone who wanted to express heartache and uh, loneliness and alienation. And since he was taken on that position, it kind of also said, if you're in a state of being where you feel broken, Mm -hmm. if you feel like that there isn't a community for you, I understand you. And so it still fits into me that kind of country music's desire to always connect to the outsider. Roy Orbison the same way, right? Yeah. Country music always wants to say, if you're not in the majority, we kind of understand you. Mm-hmm. To some extent, we understand you if you have a job that you don't like or if it's dangerous and you might be killed. We understand you. If you have lost loved ones in a flood or mind collapse, we understand you. If God has given you more than you feel like you can bear, we understand you. And so country music, for me, always kind of says, if you've been crushed down, you're one of us. But that doesn't mean you have to be completely broken apart and thrown away because I don't think country says that. I think country says, I understand if it's hard and we're here because we've been through that too and we understand you and we have survived. Country kind of says you can face hardship and still move on no matter what the issue happens to be. This sort of gets back to the marketing aspect of things, but how much of the political, cultural overtones in country music is authentic and genuine because that is country's big selling point. It is authentic and genuine. And how much of it is calculated in this highly corporate age? Well, country music's always been calculated. And so Minnie Pearl went to college. So, <laughs> But she comes out, she's howdy, and she's got her hat with the price tag, and she, she does a whole kind of rube kind of act. That's not necessarily true for every performer, 
but that's certainly been a vein in country music that you don't necessarily have to have a hard scrap alive. Though when Gretchen Wilson kind of comes out, people are like, oh, she really did come from a poor background. She she understands country. I think that that in some ways that's kind of unfair because then suddenly if if you're like suburban, you can't play country. Right. Yeah. Or if you're from Canada, you can't play country. If you're from even like New Mexico, you can't. You have to be Southern. That's never been true. Oh, Keith Urban is the CMA entertainer yeah, no, here. And he's no, from Australia. It is always so funny sometimes to, the idea of country versus its reality. And so yeah. he's a great example. And there's so many. You kind of have to come out and you have to dress a certain way and you kind of have to sometimes act a certain way. And you might be careful of kind of that that public persona because you don't want it to jab too hard against kind of people's notions of what country is. I mean, it's a performance. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about performance, we think of costuming. We think of people having lines. We think of them kind of putting on a face and playing a role. And country musicians oftentimes kind of have to put on a kind of a country face and act a role in a way. So if you look at Loretta Lynn now, she's still very, very wealthy, but she still kind of presents herself as, I'm just a country girl. And she is. Mm -hmm. She's both of those things. She is a savvy businesswoman who's wealthy, and she's also someone who's been dirt poor and had to make a lot of hard decisions. You can't just cut one part off and forget it because each part informs who you are, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, it doesn't matter if Keith Urban grew up, you know, country or not. In a way, he's become country. And so maybe that's part of our American ideal. You can kind of become American. And so America kind of allows, in our best moments, allow people from wherever to kind of become what they want country's reality has always been a whole bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. It's been feminine and masculine. It's been African-American, and it's been white. It's been Hispanic. It's been from Europe. It's been from Canada. It's been from Australia. It's been a, It's gone to college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, you know, it didn't even get to go to school. Country can put its arms around a whole bunch of people. There are aboriginal country performers. Uh, I saw somebody do a presentation. Mm-hmm. On that, there are a lot of country performers in Norway. They have festivals. Time for another break. We'll be back. This is MTSU on the record. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For more details, visit mtsunews.com. Dr. Mark Allen Jackson, a professor of English, is our guest. 
Uh, the book is called The Honky Tonk on the Left, Progressive Thought in Country Music, and it contains several essays that uh, debunk the myth that uh, country music is only conservative or only for conservatives. I'm seeing contemporary country artists incorporate elements of hip-hop yeah. into their uh, routines these days. There's an essay about that in here, too, yeah. A lot of performers kind of acknowledge they're kind of taken from other forms, right? So we right. have hip-hop, that's oftentimes the, mm-hmm. the term that's used. And so on its face, it kind of says, well, we're two things at once. Why? Because we are the kind of two most popular forms in the United States. If we look to see what, what radio stations are, certainly talk radio mm-hmm. has uh, a big presence. But if you look at musical format, we see country and we see hip-hop, and they are kind of the two dominant forms. But those two forms are very popular, so it's not really a surprise that there, there's a mashup there. That people say, well, I like this form, you like this form, a lot of people like this form, let's do something. It doesn't always work like uh, uh, Brad Paisley and LL Cool J's <laughs> Accidental <laughs> Racist, which a lot of people kind of attacked, I think, super unfairly because they thought it was kind of simplistic in terms of its message. Is that the one where they says, you know, just because I like the Confederate flag doesn't mean that I hate you? The, well, of sorts. It, that, it, that's <laughs> sort of what the message is, right? It, it says that, I, in a way, I didn't really kind of understand what I wear, how I act, and in a way might position me as someone being a racist, mm-hmm. all right? And there's this idea that there's kind of a forgiveness that we need to stop looking at each other and kind of judging. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of need to accept that uh, even though there might be some level of difference between us underneath it all, we're all people and we should be joined together. When I looked to see Accidental Racist, it was not attacked from the right. It was attacked from the left. Right. Even though it wanted to say something that I think the left oftentimes agree with. Racism is wrong. We should come together as people. But they didn't like how Paisley and El Kujay put it together. And so they're like, well, it's simplistic and it's not nuanced enough and it doesn't do enough. And so I think sometimes country can get torn up yeah. from either side because when country goes conservative, a lot of times people go, oh, how dare you? Or that's not fair. Or that you, you say you, you, you're representing American values, but how, how can you do these horrible things that we see as conservative? But when it also, and I, I mentioned that the, uh, like Johnny Cash, and we talked about the the Dixie Chicks. When it tries to go left, it gets attacked, too. In that same vein, could a country music artist with the high liberal political profile of, say, for example, Barbara Streisand, be popular today in country music? Maybe that's why alt-country and Americana have kind of risen up as they've had, because country music has gotten more and more like, you can't do this, you can't do that, you become more and more packaged. And Americana isn't just country music, it's blues music, it's it's roots music, anything that is considered part of the roots of America, uh, regardless of um, what ethnic group or what particular kind of uh, cultural influence is involved. I I gather that Americana is, you know, country with more room under the tent. Yeah, I agree. It it allows people not to have to be so restrictive. But I think a lot of contemporary country, because there's so much money at stake, Mm -hmm. 
it's just like NFL football. Sometimes they're just scared. Yeah. You know, they're scared. of. They're so uh, risk averse. They are. They're like, this is what we are and we don't want to change. So here's somebody taking the knee, which you could have just kind of almost like accepted or not accepted and just allowed it. But no, it has to be a big deal. There's only a few companies that kind of control almost all country radio or like all radio in the United States almost. Just a yeah, about six corporations. Yes, yeah. a handful. And they have tons of influence. And there's a dictate there about what we're going to allow. But there's so much more music that's going on that I might want to hear and I might want to call country that doesn't. And I have to find it somewhere else or someone. It's almost like they have to. There's an underground and they pass it to me. But I, I think people got frustrated with that. And so we see in the 80s cowpunk rising up because it's like, why can't country be kind of like angry like it used to be mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of packaged and nice and sweet? You know, why can't it be more well, aggressive? Take this job and shove it? Or? There you go. I mean, well, that's that's always been a part of it. But some songs I'll, allow people to be a little on that edgy side. But it's it's that restriction, that kind of idea. Can we package it? Who's going to listen to it? How much money are we going to make from this? Mm-hmm. That risk-adverse kind of policies stops a, a lot of voices. Yeah. <laughs> For you classic rock fans, The Birds, The Flying Burrito Brothers, Poco, Graham Parsons, The Eagles... Jackson Brown, they they all grew uh, up through some kind of country roots and the explosion of country rock in the 70s, the Marshall Tucker Band, Wet Willie, Elvin Bishop. It's, it's all an amalgam. It's all jambalaya of different kinds of elements. Absolutely, but... You could see how that those people weren't considered country. They were cons- country rock. They're right. country something. The label was different. Yeah. But for me, you know, I mean, like the, when the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band starts playing with the Carters, yes. you know, they're like, uh-huh. we are no different. Right. You know, I mean, to me, that's like a great moment in time which said we're the same. Right. But the Carters were already seen as like out of date. Nitty Gritty Dirt Band was seen as not not really kind of country. You mm-hmm. know, what I mean, not country country. And so I think a lot of people would see them as kind of very opposite ends in the spectrum, but they mesh together well. I read this interesting uh, article in the Nashville scene about, like, the ball cap versus the cowboy hat. What direction are they going to go in? Who, Who's going to wear a ball cap versus a cowboy hat? I'm like, I don't even care. <laughs> you know what I mean? What, what if they want to come out, like, in a top hat? I'm like, that seems fine for me. What does the music sound like? That is not what I go to country music for, to see what they're dressed as. Back in the day, uh, Eddie Arnold and Ray Price were wearing suits Tuxedos. Tuxedos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if it hadn't been for them, maybe Dean Martin wouldn't have tried to record country Yeah. Music. Oh, God. Well, I mean, we see so many you know, people you know, now doing country because it's yeah. uh, viable. They uh-huh. think, well, I can do I can get some crossover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The book is called The Honky Tonk on the Left, Progressive Thought in Country Music, a collection of essays edited by Dr. Mark Allen Jackson, who is a professor of English. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back. The Tennessee Early Childhood Training Alliance, or TECTA, works to improve the quality of child care in Tennessee by establishing a statewide training and professional recognition system. Through TECTA, child care providers may be eligible for free orientation training, tuition support for early childhood academic courses, and networking opportunities, as well as other services. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is to provide education 
advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Gina Fan has the middle moment. While the world's watching Jordan Peele's new horror movie, Us, again, from behind splayed fingers and popcorn boxes, MTSU graphic design major Philip Mayberry is savoring the feeling of seeing his own art in one of the film's trailers. The Union City, Tennessee native, who now lives in Nashville, answered an international challenge to create fan art for the record-breaking movie. The result is a split-screen image of Oscar-winning actor Lupita Nyong'o that's gotten international attention and has him already thinking about more career moves. Getting as many eyes as I can on my artwork. Like after school, I would like to remain in the art field. Really. I like to do different design things, maybe like concept art or fashion design maybe. And I would like to work on animation and stuff like that outside of that, yeah. Just, just anything in the design. Because I, I want to keep like growing as an artist. You know, I don't want to be boxed you know, to one single thing. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.